Good morning. We have a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 17, starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on, the face, live on all the face of earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. That's my little brother, Andrew, in case you hadn't met him. So, Andrew, thank you for being here. They're visiting from Georgia, and uh, I know we've got a number of families that are visiting family here for the weekend, so we're thankful to have you wherever you're coming from, and uh, grateful for the chance to worship the Lord with you today. Let's pray together. Father, we are so blessed uh, to come together as a faith family and as um, extended family on the holiday weekend. We're thankful for chances like this we have. Uh, to worship you. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same God in every state of our states. You're the same God in every country around the world. You're the same God who always will be and the same God who has been in existence since before the beginning of time. What a blessing it is to know you and to worship you here together in Christ. Father, we want to, um, if we have not yet already, confess our sins before you. We want to confess the ways we have been disobedient to your word, ways that we have been uh, apathetic towards you, the ways that we have been uh, just um, unwilling for our hearts to be stirred by who you are and all that you've done for us. God, our, our hearts have been so, so stubborn so often. And so, God, we want to lay that before you. We want to lay times before you, God, that we have been blatantly, uh, deliberately sinning against you and your commands. God, we want to confess ways that we are hiding sin, ways that we are unwilling uh, to let the light of the gospel into our hearts, ways that we are trying to shield our sin from you. God, all those and plenty, plenty more we want to lay before you and before the cross. Father, those things have, because of those things, we have every reason to be cast away from your presence. We have no reason to be before you today apart from the work of Christ. We stand on him, his sacrifice, his accomplishment alone. We come today in his name, seeking to know you and be known by you. We come today begging for mercy, pleading for your grace, knowing we can find help in our time of need. Father, we stand before your word humbled that... Uh, we, we have such a small comprehension of who you are. And we plead that even in these moments, you would be at work 
to grow our understanding, to shape our hearts and minds so that we can know you better, so that we can follow you more closely, that we can be, be more captivated by you, that you would overcome the desires of our hearts by a much more beautiful vision of you. God, ignite in us a passion for you, for your glory, for your name's sake. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. When I started college, I came in uh, knowing that school would be hard. School has always been hard. But I was feeling relatively sure that I could figure it out. I had done okay in high school, and I knew I wasn't going to be the top of the class in anything everywhere, but I could figure it out. Well, first semester of my freshman year, I took a class in history, Western civilization, with a really old professor who was really smart, and he handed back the first paper I wrote with a big red letter C on it and slapped it on my desk. And I wasn't real happy about that because I actually tried. I tried like hard. I was motivated. This was the beginning of college. I was going to do well, so I thought. And so I realized pretty quickly that although I had come in confident, I was going to need some help. Thankfully, I had already connected through a Christian group to a couple sophomores who were in my Western Civ class. And I came to them and said, should we start a study group? I think we should start a study group. And they very graciously brought me in and helped me through the rest of the semester. And I passed Western Civ and lived to tell, to tell the tale. A few weeks ago, or I don't know, a little more recently sometime, I uh, had been convicted that I just hadn't been in the gym. I hadn't been working out. And uh, so I just got real excited one day, real gung-ho, and uh, decided to go into the gym. And I just decided I was, you know, like people that are into working out, they do like a legs day and an arm day or whatever. I was just going to do it all, you know, just like one day. I'm just going to just blow out everything I can. And so, uh, of course, you know, if you're going to, you know, go into the gym, you got to do a bench press, right? And so I threw some weight on there that I thought, you know, it's probably like a warm-up weight. I mean, at one point I lifted weight, so... I threw it on there, and it was supposed to be a warm-up, and I was like, man, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But I, I'm sure I just, you know, stretch and warm it up and put a little bit more on, a little bit more on. I got to the third set, and just a couple reps in, I was like, this, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. But it was such a low weight, I just was convinced, like, I got this. I, I didn't have it. I'm in the middle of the gym without a spotter, which is dumb, and that thing is just sitting on my chest, and I'm going, what am I going to do now? Sure enough, the guy next to me is like, hey, man, you, you need some help. I'm like, sure, thanks. Okay, yeah, put that back up, right? I mean, it was 15 pounds, so I thought I could do it. But I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you felt like, ah, I got this under control, only to sort, shortly thereafter realize I'm going to need some help. Anybody been there? Whether it be in a financial struggle, some kind of place you've got into financially, where you need some help. Maybe it's in a relationship, in marriage, counseling, some kind that you need some kind of help to get through and mend a relationship. Maybe you've been working on some kind of home project. I can give you a long list of those kind of stories where I've started something and go, ah, I'm going to need some help there. Maybe it's a help with the kids, help with life, help with decisions. Many times we overestimate our abilities and our capacities and our understanding and our wisdom only to realize, after all, we do, in fact, need help. Like it or not, we are needy people. We have needs, an abundance of needs, an almost limitless list of needs. Chances are you depended on a lot of things already today. I don't know if anybody built their own car 
Uh, probably not. Maybe some of you did. But even if you did, I don't know how you even do that, but even if you did build your own car, you probably did not go uh, pump and refine your own gasoline to drive your car, like to get to empower your car to get here, right? You're, you, you, some, I know it's, uh, some people build houses. You may have built your own house, but you probably did not build the entire electrical grid that put the power and the electricity to your house. We are dependent people. We need other people and we need God to supply needs, to meet our needs. Even if you are self-employed and your skills are self-taught and you have worked your way up in the world by the strength of your own hands, you, one thing you did not build was your own beating heart or the lungs in your chest that put oxygen into your blood or the supply of oxygen around the world. We have an abundance of needs. Like it or not, we are needy people. But the good news I want you to hear today is God is not needy. God has no needs. God needs nothing. And that is really good news to people who need everything. This fall, we are taking up the invitation from Isaiah 40, verse 9, which says, Behold your God. And each week we're looking at a different characteristic or attribute of God and diving into who He really is. And I know this series may be uh, challenging, deep in some ways, and be a little bit of a stretch for us to kind of dive into and get our minds around. But I firmly believe that one of the most practical things in the world, like people talk, talk about, you know, let's talk about something that's practical. Let's talk about things that you know you can, you can, are tangible, that I can do something with this week. I, I want you to preach on something, Pastor, that changes the way I do something tomorrow. Okay, I am. I'm going to preach about God. <laughs> Amen? Well, I, I firmly believe one of the most practical things in the world is good theology. Because good theology is the bedrock, is the foundation you're standing on to do everything else you do. So no, I'm not going to preach a list of 10 financial, you know, goodwill, good decisions you should make to get out of debt and, you know, retire by the age of 55, right? I'm sure somebody's written a blog out there and you could go read it. Okay, whatever. I, that's not our job. Today, our job in the Bible is to know God. And I'm radically convinced, deeply, deeply convinced in my soul, that is the most practical thing in the world, is to know God. So I get it that you may dive into this series and you're like, what's the theology word he taught today? And did he just quote Latin? You know, I don't know. I know it could be a little bit whatever. But I'm telling you, there's nothing more important than God. There's nothing more important than knowing him. So this is just my, my disclaimer at the beginning. Come on in. The water's good. The water's fine. Know this God. He is worth knowing. The more you know him, the more you trust him. I've heard it said, we talk about theology in the light so that we have something to stand on in the dark. We talk about who God is in a moment where we can try to wrap our minds around Him and try to understand Him and know Him and love Him better because there's going to be days where you're not sure where to stand and your feet are wobbly and you need something firm beneath your feet. We talk about God in the light so you can have something to stand on Him and stand, something to stand on in the dark. We talk about who God is so you can trust Him more. We invite you to know Him and know Him in a greater way. Last week, we talked about how God is infinite. We talked about how God is infinite in, his, in where He is. He is omnipresent, and He is infinite in 
when he has been and when he will be. <laughs> he is eternal. He is infinite in every way. He is infinite in all of his attributes. That's where we went last week. But today, where I want to go, and these, of course, all overlap, but today my invitation for you is to behold your independent God. Behold your independent God. A God who needs nothing and is dependent on nothing or no one. What you may, I, I don't know how, how hard I'd have to work to convince you that you are needy. Some of you may be equally as stubborn to me and struggle to recognize my neediness sometimes and think I can handle it all, you know. But even more important to me today than convincing you that you are needy is to convince you that God is not needy, that God needs nothing. That's the goal. We are radically dependent people, and God is gloriously independent. So here's my invitation to, today, invitation to you today. Depend on our gloriously independent God. Because God is independent, He is the one you can depend on all the time, no matter what. And if you can see the glory of His independence, you will recognize that in every situation of life, you can depend on Him. And when you recognize that you need somebody to depend on, you will want to depend on Him. Our main passage today comes from Acts 17, the passage Andrew read for us, where Paul addresses the people of Athens in Greece. Athens, many, many, you could, maybe some of you have been there. I have not. Athens of the day, of the time, was known for its incredible architecture and beautiful sculptures and all kinds of philosophers and great thinkers and magnificent temples to all these gods and goddesses they had seemingly collected from all parts of the world. And, and many people would come and kind of ooh and ah over all the things that they could see in Athens. One writer who lived during that time named Petronius joked that it was easier to find a god than a man in Athens because there were so many idols, so many statues, so many temples. When Paul came to Athens to preach, we read that, that his spirit was provoked when he saw the city was full of idols, which is to say he was not impressed by any of it. He was not impressed by their temples, not impressed by all these gods and goddesses. And so he began preaching about Christ and the one true God and about Christ's resurrection. And so the people brought him out and said, There's, this is something different. We haven't heard something like this, but they, it says they all liked hearing something new. So they brought him out to this one hill, Areopagus, or which means the, the hill of Ares or Mars Hill. And he preached, as he preached, he commented on just how many altars there were all around the city with all these different gods and goddesses. And he pointed out they had kind of hedged their bets by building this one extra altar to an unknown god. They're like, ah, if we didn't catch them all, we're just going to build this other statue over here to anything that we just happen not to get, catch, or know the name of. And so Paul comes in and says, that unknown God, I, I'm going to tell you about who that unknown God is. He is the only God, the only true God, and some things you should know about him. He doesn't need any of these temples. He doesn't need any of these buildings because he is not contained to a building. He says, God does not live in temples made by man. And then he says, Acts 7, 20, 24, the reason that he doesn't build, uh, live in one of these temples is that he made the whole world and everything in it. And then verse 20, 25, he says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He says, all this work, all this religious activity to try to serve him and supply a need of his, you've missed the point. He created everything. So he has absolutely Zero needs. 
God is not needy. You are needy. I'm needy. The people of Athens were needy. Paul was needy. God is not needy. God is gloriously independent, dependent, uh, independent and dependent on nothing. He's the author of life. Verse 25, he continues, he says, He gives life and breath to all mankind. Because he, he's the one that spoke life, gave life. Nobody can give him life back. He, he's the one that life came from. And then he says in verse 28, In him we live and move and have our being. So here are the contrast. God, creator of everything, has no needs. You and me, here's the list. This, this is really all we need. We just need him if we want to live or, or move or exist. In him we live and move and have our being. Our very, our very existence is dependent on God. God's existence dependent on nothing except God himself. That's the distinction. God independent, we are dependent. God always has been in existence based on himself and nothing else. And the only reason we exist, the only reason we will continue to exist, is that we are dependent upon God. We never gave ourselves life. God himself gave that to us. And if every single muscle we want to move, you hear that? He says, in him we live and we move. Like you're getting out of bed this morning was a gift from God. You're coming and sitting here was a gift from God. Every muscle you move is a gift from God. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. We, on the other hand, are dependent on him for everything. I mentioned last week that since Genesis 3, one of the greatest temptations we face is the same temptation they faced in the garden when Adam and Eve were tempted to be like God in a way they were not called to be. We are called to imitate God in his certain parts of his character, like his holiness and his love. But there are other parts of God that are, just, that are unique to God himself. And this is one of them. Independence, radical independence and depending on nothing is unique to God. Nothing else in the universe has that quality. Only God himself is fully and completely independent. Adam and Eve had limits. They had needs. They were given a garden to work and food that grew and they ate of it. They had to eat in order to live. That was before the fall. Before sin entered the world, they had needs. And even more than the physical needs, they needed to walk with God and know Him. The limitations we have are not just a result of the fall. It's not just because of sin that you and I are needy people. Sin creates a whole other set of problems, but it's good to know that you and I were created with needs. One of the reasons that's good is that God apparently did not create us with the capacity to be independent and fully reliant only on ourselves. If He did create us that way, that would have been the expectation. Just figure it out all on your own there, Philip. I formed you, now go and figure it out. No, he didn't make me that way. I can't make oxygen stick to the earth. God does that. I am dependent on him. He alone is independent. If God, invited, God created us with needs, then he created us with this deep, deep in our DNA necessity for him. He created us as dependent on him so that when we feel our neediness, when we feel the things that I, I cannot do this on my own, 
we would lean on, we would trust in, we rely on God all the more. That is built into how you and I were created. We were created to need God. God is independent and we are dependent on Him. What we're driving toward here is what theologians, here's, here's your Latin word for the day, what theologians call the aseity of God. That's A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. comes from two Latin words, mean A, from or by, and say Himself. God is from Himself. Okay, I lose everybody? I know, quoted Latin. All right. Don't, you don't really need to know that word other than if you are reading along with us and studying this in one of the books we've, rep- rep- we've recommended to you or some other words, you may come across that word. So that's a good word. But the, what it's talking about, what that word means, does give us some vocabulary that are helpful. When we talk about God's aseity, His independence, the two phrases I think that are worth knowing are that God is self-existent and self-sufficient. Self-existent and self-sufficient. Sufficient. So one of, one of my goals in this series, I was talking about this with my sister-in-law yesterday, what, that when you read the Bible, uh, you're going to come across descriptions of God, right? As you read the Psalms, as they proclaim His excellencies, as you read how Jesus talks about His Father, as you read about how Genesis, about God created the world, there, there's all these descriptions of God. And, and you could read them and just kind of pass over them, or you could pause and, and meditate on God's glory. So when you read in Acts 17 that, uh, that God doesn't live in temples as though He needed anything, you could just pass along and say, yeah, He doesn't need anything. Or you could pause and say, wait, 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 God doesn't need anything. So He is self-sufficient. He, he is sufficient all by Himself. What does that mean? And meditate on the greatness of God. And this, the point of, one of the points of this series is to give you some vocabulary to really wrestle with, who is this, how, who is this God? How, how is He described? And, how do we piece all these places of Scripture together? So that's what we want to do. We're, we're meditating on God's aseity. Again, take or leave that word. But God being self-sufficient and self-existent. This is built out of the fact that God is our creator and our sustainer. God and our creator and sustainer. So I'm going to take those one at a time. God is the self-existent creator of all things, including us. God is the self-existent creator of all things, including us. Now, we have all created or made things, right? You and I create and make things where, wherever we go. From the, the kids this morning in here, we're playing with Play-Doh, thinking about creation and putting together puzzles, right? As you grow up, maybe you're a, you know, a chef, you build something, you know, you create something in the kitchen with recipes, you know, of, of all the things, you, uh, a speech, uh, a sermon, these are things we create with words, right? We're, we're forming something. Of all the, the physical, tangible things I have made, the, the tree house that I built, my like, finest you know, accomplishment in the carpentry world. And then two years after I built it, we sold the house and moved and some other kids are enjoying that tree house. And that's fine. I'm not upset about it. It's okay. But uh, of all the things, that, that, that took the most labor for like, that's the most time and energy and effort I put into like making something, you know, physical and tangible, like months worth, you know, and YouTube videos and all kinds of stuff, and learning all kinds of things and buying some tools. And, and even if you haven't done that, you know basically how the process goes, Right. Like pen and paper, come out, write down the ideas, go buy the materials, buy the lumber, the screws, and all the thing you need, bring it home, cut it, then assemble it, right? And just about everything you make basically follows that structure. Raw materials, edit them, shape them, whatever, make something, right? That's how we make. That's how we create. That's not how God created. God didn't start with raw materials. When God created, He created out of nothing. 
Okay, one more Latin phrase. Ex nihilo, which are theologi theological textbooks will tell you about. God created out of nothing. God spoke and it happened. It came into being. Before God spoke, there was nothing. God spoke and it came into being. When you and I create, we start with something. That, that recipe from scratch, right, is eggs and flour and salt and sugar. You didn't create the sugar. You didn't create the eggs. You didn't create the chicken that created the eggs. God created those things. And it is a marvelous thing that I, I've benefited from some of the things y'all make in a kitchen. I'm grateful for you. I'm not in any way diminishing the glory of your cooking. It's amazing. Thank you. However, our creating is not like God's creating. He created out of nothing. There was nothing. He spoke and it happened. God is the only one who can create out of nothing. He is the self-existent creator of all things. When I picked the scripture for Andrew to read this morning, I seriously considered doing this. I seriously considered asking Andrew to walk up here, open up his Bible and say, in the beginning, God, and then close the Bible and walk off, right? But I thought that might be a little gimmicky. But you would have gotten the point. In the beginning, God, nothing else. Even before God spoke, God existed. That, that in itself is worth meditating on. There was nothing else, just God. He is self-existent. Nobody created God. At some point, you know, if you've got kids, you had kids come growing up, at some point they look at you and say, where did God come from? Who, who created God? Where did God start? And, and at whatever age group, you're going to have to figure out some way to put this in child-appropriate language. But the answer is, nobody created God. God has always been. Nobody started God. God is. God is. In the beginning, God. Or as we quoted last week, when Moses is looking at this burning bush that's on fire but not being consumed. Right? The fire is burning out of nothing somehow. He asks, who, who are you, God? He says, I am. I am who I am. He is self-existent. He has always been and always will be because he exists in himself. I, I'm never into... Apologetics like isn't my like wheelhouse, but if there's ever a, a place of defending the 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 that, that God exists, it's it's here. You got you got to keep going back. However old you think the Earth is, there had to start some point. It's not infinite. It started somewhere. And where where did it start? Something had to start it. Aristotle, who's not a Christian but a Greek uh, philosopher, he he referred to this unmoved mover. Right? And he was right. There had to be, before everything started moving in the world, something had to create the motion that wasn't already in motion. Something had to start the world. And all the world's been trying to figure out who it is. And we just open the Bible, start on page one. In the beginning, God. Or you go a few pages later to Exodus, you get his name. I am. That's who it is. That's who created the world. God is the creator of everything. The testimony of Scripture all the way through. Genesis 50, we heard earlier. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24 begins. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Right at the end of the times, Revelation chapter 4, the elders are going to be around the throne of Christ, casting down their crowns. And what are they going to be saying? They're going to be saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and praise. Why? For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. 
The only reason anything exists is God made it exist. He is the uncreated being, the unmade maker, the unmoved mover, the self-existent being, which makes God completely dependent on nothing. He is completely independent. And because God is self-existent and doesn't depend on anything, that should lead us to a little bit of humility, should it not? We, we've done some amazing things. You have all done some amazing things. I built a treehouse once. We've all done some great things, right? You and I, compared to our eternal God, who spoke the universe into being, He is the one, the only one deserving of glory and praise. We can, we can get knocked down just a couple notches by contemplating the self-existence of God. You didn't make yourself. You didn't, like, I'm not going to go birds and bees here, but you didn't even make your kids. You know that, right? Like, God made them too. <laughs> Everything that exists, God made. We can get puffed up and proud of our accomplishments, the ways we've contributed. And, and God does call us to use our gifts. God, you are workmanship, the, the workmanship of God. You, you are intended to do good works which God planned in advance for you to do. You have great and mighty and awesome things God empowers us as Christians to do. So don't just throw your hands up and say, well, it's all God, I'm going to go to sleep now. Take your nap, but then get up and do the things God calls you to do. But all along, God gets the credit. God always gets the credit because He's the one that created all things. Growing up, uh, we, we used to listen to this silly comedian just seemed to come on, on the way to school every day. Ken Davis, lighten up and live. He told this joke. Why I remember this from probably you know, fifth grade, I don't know. But I remember it. Uh, he, he imagines this, you know, this hypothetical, you know, as his comedians come up with this thing, he imagines this challenge between somebody who, is, who has accomplished a lot in the world and is really getting boastful and proud. And he challenges God to a contest where they both would create something and see who made the better thing in the end. And in this you know, very untrue, made-up scenario... God accepts the challenge and says, okay, you create your thing. I'll create mine. We'll see who wins in the end. And so the, 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 the human says, okay, ready, set, go. And he reaches down to the dirt and picks up this handful of dirt. And God says, whoa, 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 get your own dirt. <laughs> we, we, we are dependent on God for everything. Instead of pride, we should be filled with thanksgiving. Psalm 50, after, God, after proclaiming God the creator of everything, we don't say, oh, look what I can make out of this pile of dirt. No. 50 verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Instead of pride, our, should be heart, our heart should be filled with gratitude. Thanksgiving, gratitude, that is the indicator of humility. Live a life of gratitude to Him. Be thankful to Him. When are you tempted by pride? Where is it that you begin to pat yourself up on the back, pat yourself on the back and build yourself up? Where do you try to praise your own accomplishments? In those moments this week, say, God gave me this strength. God put the breath in my lungs. God gave me the abilities, the education, whatever else it is to do the things you're doing. Give God the praise. Be thankful to Him. When we proclaim God's independence, we're proclaiming that He is self-existent and we are dependent upon Him for every good gift. God is the creator and He is also the sustainer. When we talk about God as independence, we're talking about He created and He sustains. God did not just create the world. Deism is this other you know, description of God that's not true, that just to describe God as this divine watchmaker who built it intricately, wound it up, and just let it go. That's not the description of God. God 
was intricately involved, involved at the beginning and has never stopped being involved. God is the creator and the sustainer. God is the self-sufficient sustainer of all things, including us. Jesus prayed this uh, to his father right before he was crucified, not before he was crucified. John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Wow. Before the world existed, God the Father and God the Son, through the Spirit, had eternal, magnificent glory. He lacked nothing. He was sufficient. He was content. He was happy all by himself. He needed nothing. He is sufficient all by himself. John 5, 26, For as the Father has life in himself. Where does life come from? God has it. He is sufficient. We don't have to add something to sustain God. That's the, the, the almost comical description in Psalm 50. He's like, Wait, 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 you, you think that you're, you're offering these cattle, these cattle and this, these goats up here to feed me? Like if I was hungry? That, that this somehow is meeting my needs? That somehow if, if you didn't burn enough cows on your altar, I would get hungry? He said, that's, that's ridiculous. It, I created it all. It's all mine already. You're not giving me anything I don't already have. He said, I, I, don't, I don't have any needs. He is sufficient. He is sustained by himself. You and I, when we give our money to the Lord, God is not going, man, whew, I wasn't going to make it without you. But you came in the clutch right when I needed you. No, it is an overflow of gratitude that we give to God. We don't sustain God. God is just fine all by himself. He is sufficient. He is the sustainer. Sometimes we picture God as needy, as needy, right? We, I, I don't know if you know this, if you know that we, uh, Aaron rewrote a song that we sing. We, we sing, uh, what a beautiful name, if you remember that song. That has a, there's a line in the original version that says something like, uh, he didn't want heaven without us, so he brought heaven down. Now, I know that probably they could have meant it in, in a whatever way, but to describe God as not wanting heaven without us, it sounds like you're saying, God's needy. God, God, God he, just, he really needed us in heaven to be happy, and oh, pitiful God. And so he had to come up with a way to make sure he had heaven with us. No, he, he had eternal glory before creation. You can't add to perfection. We don't add anything to who He is. So Aaron and his team, they rewrote, we couldn't earn our way to heaven, so you brought heaven down. That's a much better truth to sing, right? He doesn't need us. He isn't needy. The Trinity, we, two weeks ago, talked about this, God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has had eternal love forever. You can't add anything to that. God has always had everything He needs. So why did He create? If He didn't need us, why did He make us? Psalm 36, 9, for with you is a fountain of life. In your light do we see light. He is a fountain. He is overflowing with life and love so we can share in what he has. That's why he created. Not because he needed you. Because he wanted you. He wanted to share what he had. Out of the overflow of who he is, he wanted to share you with him. One Christian, Barry Cooper, he's writing for um, Sproul's ministry, Ligonier ministry. He described a time when he heard an evangelist as a kid uh, give a, a plea, an altar call this way. He said something like, think of him on the cross, Jesus on the cross. Look at the tears in his eyes. See how, he's, how alone he is. He, he's doing all this so you'll be his friend. He's pleading you, won't you come and be my friend? And this, this author, Cooper, continues, says, the impression the evangelist gave is that God is somehow incomplete without us, that he is lonely, that he needs our help, that he can't do anything with us, and you need to pity him 
and that's why you'll come to believe in him. He said, that is not the God revealed to us in Scripture. This evangelist had not reckoned with what we call the aseity, the independence of God. A pitiable God is not a God to be worshipped and not a God who can save you. If he needs something, then he, you can't rely on him to save you. It, listen, I, I want to be the most dependable guy I can be. If I promise you I'm going to do something I, in every way possible, I am going to do what I can to keep my promises. But you know what? I'm not promised tomorrow. So I have a limit on how much I can keep my word. Not because of anything wrong with me, but because I'm made that way. I mean, there are things wrong with me. You get, you know what I mean. But If you and I were dependent on God for our salvation, which we are, but He was dependent upon something else, we could have no assurance of our salvation because that thing could stop God from keeping His promises. God has no needs. We, we, if, you, if you have a need, you know, like it's pouring down rain and you need to buy an umbrella. Well, that umbrella is going to charge, it's going to be twice as much, right? Because you're trying to buy it and everybody knows, I know they don't actually do this, but theoretically, they could charge you more. Your needs can control you. If you have a need for something, I got to have it, they can manipulate you. You can be manipulated by your needs. I, I got to have this thing so somebody can control you. God has no needs. He can't be manipulated. And because he had no, has no needs, you can depend on him. When God says it's going to be some way, it's going to be that way. There's nothing behind God that he's resting on to make sure, oh, I got to make sure this stays here so that I have a firm foundation. No, God is that foundation. If God had any needs, you could not depend on him. God is sufficient in himself so you can guarantee that he will sustain you. You can guarantee he will sustain you. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Why is the earth spinning? God's holding it together. Why is your brain still in your head and your heart still beating and your lungs still working? God is holding it together. Nehemiah 9.6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in them, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. Why are the fish still swimming? Why are the stars still shining? God holds them together. Our temptation is to start thinking, I'm like God, and I can rely on myself, me, myself, and, my, me, myself, and I, and that's all I need. Colossians, well, I mean, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 reminds us, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you, as if you did not receive it? Everything you have is a gift. God is the one sustaining you. You are not sustaining yourself. When going gets tough, sometimes we remember just how needy we are. When things are good, we start to be tempted. Look how good I've done. But when things are tough, we say, oh, actually, I do need some help, God. It'd be better to keep that attitude all the time, not just at the heart attack or the bad diagnosis or the car wreck or the crash in the stock market. But praise God, if he uses all those challenges to make you cry out and say, I do, I need you, God. I need you, God. Number one sign, I think, that we have forgotten our reliance on God is that we stop praying. You know who prays? Somebody who knows that everything they've been given is a gift from God, and they need God all the time, every day. If you think I earned my way here, and I've got control of everything that's in my path, I don't need to pray. 
But when we recognize only God's in charge of those things, we begin to pray. Maybe another side of that same problem is being fearful or fretful about the future. Philippians 4.19 reminds us, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and the glory in Christ Jesus. God's riches and glory in Christ Jesus might not come when you want them to come, but He promises to meet your needs. Are you fretful? Are you worried? Are you concerned? Trust that He is the sustainer of all things. Before sin entered the world, we had needs and God had invited us to rely on Him. One other quick sign of, of us forgetting our reliance on other things is that we isolate ourselves from community. Remember what else? Do you remember the only thing God said wasn't good before the fall? It's not good that man should be alone. One sign that you think we think we are self-reliant is we isolate ourselves, we pull away from community, we refuse to be vulnerable and honest and transparent with those around us because we think we don't need them. I've got this figured out on my own. But when we realize it's not good for man to be alone, that we need help, I'm not self-reliant. We're drawn to community. We commit to community. We're honest. We're vulnerable with one another. One of the most fascinating aspects of the study of God's attributes is seeing how God's attributes are fully true of all three persons of the Trinity, including God the Son. And I want to finish with this, that your dependence on God, being dependent on Him, that too is dependent on God. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. You and I, on our own will, are stuck in the bondage of our sin. So even when you begin to think, I want to be dependent on God, were it not for Christ, you wouldn't even be able to be dependent on God. <laughs> but here's what Christ did in God's amazing, amazing plan. Jesus became dependent on the Father so that we can share that dependence. And here's what I mean. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, eternally existent. Christ has always been self-existent and self-sustaining. But in the incarnation, He took on human nature to go along with His divine nature. And in His human nature, He submitted to the will of the Father and became dependent. When Christ came, every, it seemed like every other word out of His mouth was, I need the Father. Right? He said things like, whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. Over and over again, He sent Me. John 5, 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Christ came and submitted in every aspect of His life to the will of the Father. He lived a fully dependent life on the Father. This is the one who's been in glory from all of eternity. But in His fully divine, fully man, incarnated form, He depended upon the Father. Why would He do that? One, He modeled that dependence for you and I to see. The world, our Western world, pictures the macho man as the guy who needs nobody and nothing. He's got it all figured out. Let me tell you, Jesus was the most manly man who's ever lived, and he lived fully dependent on his Father. The peak of humanity is not somebody who can figure it all out by themselves. The peak of humanity is Jesus Christ who lived dependent upon his heavenly Father. And when Christ came, he depended on and submitted to all the way up to the point of death itself. The night before he was crucified, he prays, not what I will, Father, but what you will. Submitting once again to the will of his heavenly Father, going to the cross, dying the death you and I deserve to die because we are arrogantly self-reliant. He became humbly self-submissive to the will of the Father to pay our debt, to, to die, to rise again, so that you can be changed 
and you can submit to God too. The pathway of dependence was closed by our sin, but has been opened up by Christ so that you and I can walk in and say, I need you every hour I need you. I am dependent upon you. God the Father sent God the Son to die and rise again so all those who believe in Him would have the Holy Spirit put inside of us that bring us to life so that we can bear fruit and we can depend on God. Everything we have depends on Him. I invite you. See how gloriously independent, how self existent, how self-sufficient our God is and live a life dependent on Him. Let's pray.